Thank you for being here today. For the first time in history, enlightenment is available to all of us. I believe so many folks today are ready to experience enlightenment. I also believe that folks would like to experience more good and less bad along the way to enlightenment. If that describes you, well then, welcome to the Kate T. Benson podcast, where I, your host, Kate T. Benson, provide straightforward, actionable information about achieving enlightenment and experiencing more good and less bad along the way. The focus of this podcast in general is helping folks reach enlightenment and experiencing a whole lot more good and a whole lot less bad along the way to enlightenment. And my goal for the first three episodes was to create a super simple set of instructions for experiencing enlightenment and experiencing a whole lot more good and a whole lot less bad along the way. And today I'm going to introduce something called the Yoshida Self. The Yoshida Self is the ultimate more good and less bad along the way. But before I get there, we'll get into how you're going to get to your Yoshida Self. And that depends on the fact that both of these goals reaching enlightenment, and experiencing more good and less bad along the way, both of them can be had by reframing your identity. So we're going to do a little background on identity, what identity is, and then we'll talk about reframing identity in general. And then we'll talk about reframing identity to reach your Yoshida self specifically. So in the first three episodes of the podcast, I talked about how reframing our identity means one thing if our end goal is enlightenment, and it means something else if our end goal is experiencing more good and less bad along the way to enlightenment. And to talk about reframing identity, first I gave a little background on identity. And I did that in the first episode. And I mentioned that I did my master's at A&M focused on identity and that out of the hundreds of thousands of pages I've read on the nature of identity, that the best way I've come up with to summarize it is that your identity is all the answers that you can come up with to the Cheshire Cat's question to Alice in Alice in Wonderland. You remember that? The Cheshire Cat asks Alice, who are you? And I suggested that grown-up Alice might say, oh, who are we? Well, we're a partnered mother researcher, part-time firefighting stamp collector. The takeaway being that all of those things, being a partner, a mother, a researcher, a part-time firefighter, and a stamp collector, they're all a part of Alice's identity. Each one is a part of Alice's sense of self or what it means to Alice to be Alice. I also gave a little background in the first episode on some ways of thinking about identity from psychology, from business, and from spirituality. According to William James, a true founder in psychology, identity is made up of the I and the me. And a super simple one-sentence summary of identity 
is that identity, according to James, it's the collection of stories that we tell ourselves about who we are. And then I talked about Eric Erickson, a more modern founder, who thought that identity is the result of a developmental process, that we try on social roles until we find a sense of identity that's perfectly fitted for us. And a super simple one sentence summary of identity, according to Erickson, is basically that your identity is all the answers that you can come up with to the Cheshire Cat's question, who are you? So again, it's grown up Alice's list of being a partnered mother, researcher, part-time firefighting stamp collector. And then I mentioned personal brand, which is a way of thinking about identity from outside of psychology and more modern. And I said that personal brand is not so much the social roles you fill, like being a researcher or a stamp collector, but it's the personal style you bring when filling those roles. For instance, perhaps you value being kind. And so being kind is a part of the personal style that you would bring when filling the role of being a researcher or a stamp collector. And then I mentioned the ego, which is another way of thinking about identity. But the way that I'm describing it, it's more so the descriptions used when folks are talking about ego in the spiritual landscape as opposed to psychology. Where in psychology, if you mention ego, you're generally talking about Freud and the superego and the id and stuff like that. But I mean something different here. For our purposes here, when I say the ego, I'm referring to the personal I or the story that you tell yourself and others about who you are. Meaning when you say I'm this or I'm that, like I'm a doctor or I'm a lawyer, that's your ego. And the ego is the part of you that comes up with that story. So that is a little summary of the background on the ways to think about identity from psychology, business, spirituality, and ego. And that is all the background that we need for today. So now to give a little summary material about reframing identity. The focus in the last two episodes was on reframing our identity and specifically how reframing our identity means one thing if our end goal is enlightenment and it means something else if our end goal is experiencing more good and less bad along the way to enlightenment. If you're curious about reaching enlightenment, check out the third episode. But today we're going to talk more about the second episode, which was focused on experiencing more good and less bad along the way to enlightenment. Okay, so reframing our identity to achieve more good and less bad along the way to enlightenment. In a nutshell, it just means changing our answers to the Cheshire Cat's question. So the Cheshire Cat asks Alice, who are you? And we've imagined that grown-up Alice answers, I'm a partnered mother, researcher, part-time firefighting stamp collector. So reframing Alice's identity would simply mean changing one or more of the answers that Alice gave to the Cheshire Cat. So for example, maybe Alice decides that Alice doesn't want to be a firefighter anymore. Or maybe Alice decides that Alice wants to fight a different kind of fire than the ones that Alice has been fighting. 
if that's the case, then Alice has to do the work of figuring out how to fight a different kind of fire. And Alice has to do this work because Alice knows in the end that the other type of fire is the one that Alice wants to fight. If we press Alice about why they haven't tried to fight a different kind of fire before, they might say a lot of people want to fight those kinds of fires, that it's really competitive. And deep down, they've been a little afraid that maybe they're not good enough. So in the simplest sense for Alice, reframing identity is about changing the answers that Alice gave to the Cheshire Cat's question, specifically changing answers about the types of fires that Alice really wants to fight. But changing answers also requires reframing identity at a deeper level. And that's about thinking of themselves as capable of going up against the competition. Because when we pressed Alice about why they haven't tried to fight those kinds of fires before, and they said that they were afraid that they weren't good enough. So the deeper reframe that needs to occur is that Alice needs to think that they're good enough. So again, on the surface, the reframe is about changing answers to the Cheshire Cat's question. But underneath, it's about doing the work that Alice needs to do so that they know that they're good enough to be able to fight those fires. Now, this is really important. I want to be really clear that I'm not saying that Alice has more work to do in order to be good enough. I'm saying that Alice has work to do to reframe their identity in terms of thinking of themselves. Specifically, the reframe that needs to occur is a shift from a place of self-doubt to one where Alice's center is an absolute assuredness that they're good enough. And the shift is worth it because when you know that your purpose is to fight the other type of fire and you want to fight the other type of fire, it doesn't matter anymore how good the competition is. You just know that you're good enough and that you'll find a way because, well, that's your purpose <laughs> and because you want to fight the other type of fire. So, of course, you're good enough. And that is all the background summary we need on reframing our identity. So the next question is, where does this absolute assuredness come from? How does Alice move from revolving around this center of self-doubt, this central idea of themselves as not good enough, to one where their center is an absolute assuredness that they are good enough? We do it with something called the Yoshida script. So Yoshida is an ancient secret from Kabbalistic Jewish mysticism. The basic idea is that a part of you, a part of your soul, is rooted in the creator. Literally. Pause for a moment and consider just what an amazing idea this is. The idea that your soul is actually rooted in God. A super simple one sentence summary of Yeshida is that your Yeshida self, it's your truest self. And the Yeshida script, that's the voice of your truest self. 
This means that there is a voice within you that is available to you right now. That is the voice of your truest self. So most of the time we're living according to our ego-based storyline. Our ego-based storyline includes all the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are, like I'm a doctor or I'm a lawyer, and the stories that we tell ourselves about what we're thinking or how we're feeling, like I'm uncomfortable or I'm tired or I'm sad. And the ego worries a lot about what others think and about not being as good as others. And the ego is mostly driven by fear and jealousy. But our Yeshida self, our truest self, the part of us that is rooted in God, that part of us is not worried about whether it's as good as others. It's not worried about what others think. It's not driven by fear or by jealousy. And our Yeshida self does have its own storyline, entirely separate from the ego. And that storyline is the story about you that is told by the part of you that is actually rooted in God. And what that means is that the Yeshida script, it's your storyline, but from the part of you that knows exactly who you are and exactly what you're here to do. And so when we tap into our Yeshida self, we transform from orienting from a place of ego, worried about what others think and whether we're good enough. And instead, when we revolve around our Yeshida self, we revolve around a center where we know exactly who we are and exactly what we're here to do. There truly is no greater identity reframe than moving away from revolving around your ego and instead revolving around your Yoshida self. So how do we do that? To get to your Yoshida self and to hear your true voice, we have to get down underneath the ego. Now the trick to getting underneath the ego Super simple one sentence summary is to look at it. And that's because the ego, the ego self cannot survive being looked at directly. For those of you with a background in tarot, it's like the tower card. It's the eye of God. And of course, the tower card is referencing uh, parts in Bible stories where looking at the face of God will destroy you. It's like that, only here in your internal world, when you look at your ego, it destroys the ego. So why does that happen? Why does looking at the ego destroy it? I don't want to sound like an ego hater because the ego is really useful for a lot of things, but the ego is pretty much like a Pez dispenser. There's a lot of different types of flavors of Pez. And the Pez dispenser doesn't care what flavor of Pez it dispenses. And the ego is totally the same way, but with identity. Meaning the ego just wants an identity. It doesn't care what kind of identity it is. The ego will even take an unhappy identity. Because like the Pez dispenser, the ego doesn't care what kind of identity it dispenses just so long as it has one. Okay, 
So to finish answering the question, why does looking at the ego destroy it? I'm going to recap a little bit and bring a few ideas together. So recapping, super simple one sentence summary for our identity is that your identity is all the answers to the Cheshire Cat's question to Alice, namely, who are you? And for the ego, the ego is a Pez dispenser for identity or a Pez dispenser for all your answers to the Cheshire Cat's question, who are you? And for the question, how do you get underneath the ego? The trick to getting underneath the ego, super simple one sentence summary, is to look at it. And that's exactly because the ego is like a Pez dispenser, but with identity, meaning the ego just wants an identity. In other words, the ego is happy so long as it has some set of answers to the Cheshire Cat's question. But it doesn't care about the specific answers. In other words, your ego doesn't care about your identity, about your story. That's exactly what you think matters. But the ego just cares that it has a story. And once you see this, that the ego just wants a story, that it doesn't really care about your story, the ego loses its grip on you. And the ego-based storyline no longer holds the same cherished place at the center of who you are. And the result is that some space appears between you and your ego. And that space is enough for you to start to hear your Yoshida self, which is your truest self, and your Yoshida script, which is the voice of who you really are. You see, your Yoshida self, it's very powerful it's just not clamoring for your attention like the ego is. And it's generally not possible to hear it over and above the noise of the ego. But once you look right at the ego and see that it doesn't care about your story, that the ego just wants a story, that it's just an identity Pez dispenser, then the ego gets very quiet. And once you learn to sit in that quiet, then you start to hear your real voice, your Yoshida script. And once you start to hear your Yoshida script, the one that says, my purpose is to fight a different type of fire. Once you know your purpose, you reorient your life around who you really are and what you know matters to you. And so much of what your ego thinks matters it doesn't matter anymore. There's an unbelievable clarity that emerges and your life reorients around this newfound clarity. And there is a quiet and peace and a sense of purpose and direction that you've never known before. And that is a whole lot more good and a whole lot less bad with very significant improvements in quality of life on a day-to-day -day basis. And that is what I had to share today about the transition from an ego-based identity to our Yoshida self. So to recap, 
Today at the outset, I talked about the fact that for the first time in history, enlightenment is available to all of us. And that not only can we all experience enlightenment, but that we can experience a whole lot more good and a whole lot less bad along the way. And I said the focus of this podcast in general is helping folks reach enlightenment and experiencing a whole lot more good and a whole lot less bad along the way to enlightenment. And my goal for the first three episodes was to create a super simple set of instructions for experiencing enlightenment and a whole lot more good and a whole lot less bad along the way. But today I wanted to introduce something called the Yoshida self, which is the ultimate more good and less bad along the way to enlightenment. And to talk about how to get to your Yoshida self, I gave some background on identity and reframing identity. For background on identity, First, I shared my favorite summary, which is that your identity is all the answers you can come up with to the Cheshire Cat's question to Alice in Alice in Wonderland, who are you? And I suggested that grown-up Alice might say, oh, who am I? Well, I'm a partnered mother, researcher, part-time firefighting stamp collector. Meaning that all of those things are a part of Alice's identity. And then from psychology, I gave a super simple one sentence summary for identity, according to William James, which is that our identity is the collection of stories we tell ourselves about who and what we are. And then I gave a super simple one sentence summary for identity, according to Eric Erickson, which is that identity is basically all the social roles that you fill. And social roles are basically the answers that we can come up with to the Cheshire Cat's question, who are you? Alice says, I'm a partnered mother, researcher, part-time firefighting stamp collector. Those are all social roles. Then from business, I described personal brand, which is not so much the social roles you fill, like being a researcher or a stamp collector, but the personal style you bring when filling those roles. For instance, perhaps you value being kind, and so being kind is a part of the personal style that you would bring when filling the role of being a researcher or a stamp collector. And then I mentioned the ego, but not from psychology, so not Freud, but from spirituality and referring to the personal I. The personal I is the story that you tell yourself and others about who you are. Meaning when you say, I am this or I am that, like I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, that's your personal I, that's your ego. Or your ego-based storyline, meaning that's the story that you tell of yourself. Or, well, that's the story that your ego self tells about you. And with that background on identity, then I talked about reframing identity. And a super simple one-sentence summary for reframing identity, in a nutshell, is that reframing our identity means changing our answers to the Cheshire Cat's question. And so then we talked about Alice changing their answers to the Cheshire Cat's question. And Alice changed their answers because they knew that there was a different type of fire that they really wanted to fight. And so Alice had to do the work of figuring out how to fight that other kind of fire. Because in the end, the other type of fire is the one that Alice really wants to fight. And the reason Alice gave for why they hadn't tried to fight the other type of fire is because they didn't think they were good enough. So on the surface, reframing identity is literally as simple as changing our answers to the Cheshire Cat's question. 
But underneath, it's about doing the work that we need to do so that we know that we're good enough to be able to, like Alice, fight those fires. And I was not saying that Alice has more work to do in order to be good enough. That's really important. What I was saying is that Alice has work to do to reframe the way they think of themselves, which means to reframe their identity. And the reframe that needs to occur specifically is a shift from a place of self-doubt to one where Alice's center is this absolute assuredness that they're good enough. And that's where we started the heart of today's show. And the heart of today's show is about where this absolute assuredness comes from. And where it comes from is a place within us called the Yeshida self. And Yeshida is an ancient secret from Kabbalistic Jewish mysticism. And the basic idea is that a part of you, a part of your soul, is rooted in the creator, literally. And a super simple one-sentence summary of Yeshida is that your Yeshida self is your truest self. And the Yeshida script is the voice of your truest self. And that means that there is a voice within you that is available to you right now that is the voice of your truest self. And this is a 180 degree contrast from the way that we're living most of the time, which is according to our ego-based storyline. The ego-based storyline pretty much runs constantly in the background and is predominantly worried about what others think and about not being as good as others and is mostly driven by fear and jealousy. And our Yeshida self does have its own storyline but it is the story that is told by the part of you that is actually rooted in God. And what that means is that the Yeshiva script, it's your storyline, but from the part of you that knows exactly who you are and exactly what you're here to do. So then we talked about how to get to your Yeshiva self. And I said that to get to your Yeshiva self and to hear your true voice, we have to get down underneath the ego. And the trick to getting underneath the ego, super simple one sentence summary, is to look at it. And that's because the ego is pretty much like a Pez dispenser. There's a lot of different types and flavors of Pez, but the Pez dispenser doesn't care what flavor of Pez it dispenses. And the ego is totally the same way, but with identity. Meaning the ego just wants an identity. In other words, The ego is happy so long as it has some set of answers to the Cheshire Cat's question. But it doesn't care about the specific answers. In other words, your ego doesn't care about your identity, about your story, which is what you think matters. The ego just cares that it has a story. And once you see this, that the ego just wants a story, that it doesn't care about your story, the ego loses its grip on you and the ego-based storyline no longer holds the same cherished place at the center of who you are. And the result is that some space appears between you and your ego. And with this space, you essentially make space for your Yoshida self. Because your Yoshida self is very powerful. It's just not clamoring for your attention like the ego is. 
And it's generally not possible to hear it over and above the noise of the ego. But once you look right at the ego and you see it for the Pez dispenser that it is, that it just needs an identity and that it doesn't even care about your identity, about your story, then the ego gets very quiet. And once you learn to sit in that quiet, then you start to hear your real voice, your Yoshida script, which knows your purpose. It knows exactly who you are and exactly what you're here for. And it doesn't worry about any of the stuff that the ego worries about, like whether it's as good as other people. And once you know your purpose, you reorient your life around who you really are and what you know matters to you. And so much of what you think matters, it doesn't matter anymore. And there is an unbelievable clarity that emerges and your life reorients around this newfound clarity. And there's the feeling of quiet, of peace, and a sense of purpose and direction that you've never known before. And that is a whole lot more good and a whole lot less bad with very significant improvements in quality of life on a day-to-day basis. And that is what I wanted to share today about the transition from an ego-based identity and its storyline to our Yoshida self and our Yoshida script. And that is today's show. Thank you for being here today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're curious, you can learn more about me and sign up for my newsletter at katetbenson.com. When you sign up, you'll receive a report on a mindfulness practice called the Practicing Nature Meditation. Mindfulness practices are the most powerful tool that exists for learning to sit in quiet and for quieting any noise. And so y'all can use this practice to learn to tune into the calm, strong voice of your Yoshida self. Also, I accept and am so very grateful for my listener's support. If you're able, you can support the show. There are links on my website in the product pages. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kate T. Benson. And there is also a developing Kate T. Benson community on Facebook. Thank you so much for your time. I see you. I appreciate you. Until next time. Namaste.